0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. We're joined by Kathy Giorgio. Kathy will be reading to us from and talking to us about All Told and Olivia in 575 Autism in Haiku. So we're in for a treat because Kathy is going to be reading two books. We're from two books for us. So we're going to just jump right in. So Kathy, first, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me
0: anytime.
1: So could you please tell us a bit about All Told? Sure, I'd be happy to. All Told, I'm showing it to you as if people are able to see it, but that's okay. (laughs) All Told came about primarily after the Me Too movement started here in the States. And the thing that intrigued me about Me Too was it seemed like whenever one woman stepped out about things that had been improperly done to her, suddenly there were many other women joining in. It was never just one woman alone, and I began to think outside of that and to the man who is involved in a lot of affairs, and so I started, actually, I started with one short story, which was called Something Other, about how an other woman comes to be. And when I finished that book or that story, rather, she mentioned another woman. She had just discovered that her lover was seeing someone else. Well, then I wanted to know what happened to that woman. And then I did her story and she mentioned someone and the book just kept growing. So instead of a single story, it became an unusually formatted novel in that each chapter is a complete short story, but there is a novel arc to the entire book. There is a conflict and a resolution.
0: Oh, I love that. How exciting. Could we have our first reading, please?
1: You certainly can. And I'm going to read a section from one of the chapters that is called This Is How It Happens. Monday, schedule for the day. Husband misses your mouth while kissing you goodbye. Drive kids to school, turn back twice. Forgotten lunchbox, forgotten homework. Shop for staples, milk cereal and eggs work remote job from home office interrupted by banking dog to vet rabies shot call from school daughter acting out call from husband need shaving cream and deodorant can't wait back to grocery store finish folding laundry from yesterday drive kids home from school help with homework cook dinner Husband comes home, kisses air, and talks about his exhaustion. Kids, bath, and bed. Work from home office while husband falls asleep in front of television. Finish workday, behind. Two in the morning, go to bed. Susan always found herself humming at the grocery store. It wasn't out of happiness, but out of a strange sense of community with the music played over the speaker's She was harmonizing with the theme from Saint Elsewhere when she reached for a carton of eggs for the third time. Her first two choices held cracked shells. As the song transitioned into Girl from Ipanema, someone said, you really have a lovely voice. Startled, she looked to her right, where a man was also selecting a carton of eggs, extra large to her large. He smiled at her, tucked the carton under his arm without checking the eggs first, and walked away. Such confidence. Susan smiled and hummed all the way to the car, even without the music, because she still felt like she had company. She hoped none of the Eggman's eggs were broken. Tuesday, schedule for the day. Husband pats your butt. Recognize foreplay for sex tonight. No kiss. Drive kids to school. One return trip, daughter's winter coat. It's only 10 degrees. Try to reason with daughter's hissy fit. Maintain equilibrium after daughter slams car door and flips the bird. Stop for treat. Starbucks drive through Toffee nut latte. Receive surprise free drink. Pay for drink for the car behind you. Hum. Smile big. Think about eggs. Their fragility work from home office, interrupted by dog barfing, worried call to vet, unload dishwasher, daughter's chore neglected, run vacuum, gaze outside at sun. hum, think about breakfast for supper, scrambled eggs, remember son has to bring in 20 cupcakes tomorrow, back to grocery store, bake and decorate cupcakes, not enough eggs for dinner. Mix meatloaf to marinate, drive kids home from school, take daughter to dance class, help son with homework in studio's lobby, wait, drive home, cook dinner, husband comes home, pats your butt, reminder, kids, bath, and bed, work in home office while husband watches television, go upstairs with him, sigh, squeal, done. Return to home office. Think about eggs. Smile big. Finish workday way behind. Two in the morning. Go to bed. Susan waited in the drive through at Starbucks humming when she saw a hand giving a thumbs up from the window of the car in front of her. She leaned forward but didn't recognize the face in the rearview mirror. The thumbs up probably wasn't for her anyway. Why would it be? When she pulled up to the window, the barista gave her the latte and said, the man in front of you paid for your drink. He said to write this message on your cup. Susan looked. It said, hi, beautiful voice. I bet you sing out loud in the car. I wish I could listen. The egg man, such confidence. The barista smiled at her. You have a fan. Susan watched the red taillights, the yellow blinker flashing like a wave as the Eggman turned into the street. She waved back in case he was watching. Paying for the drink for the person behind her, she didn't mind that it was more expensive than what hers would have been. She told the barista to put a smiley face on the cup. While driving home, she turned the volume up on her CD player and sang out loud, no humming, words, words. She wondered what the Eggman would say if he could listen.
0: So I'm really curious about the writing process, and especially that each of the stories is kind of connected in those ways. So mm-hmm. what was your writing process like for developing the book? And then how did you decide what story did or didn't get included? I know you said that like one character kind of introduced another character, but I'm curious if some characters had more than one uh <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the way to say so if one character had more than if if the person cheating cheated with more than one person and they're going, there's this person and that person. How did you decide whose story got to be told?
1: OK, well, when I was writing it, the story is really sort of came at random. I would be working on one and then have an idea for another. There are stories about the same person more than once. The cheating man, his name is Jack. He shows up several times. And in fact, the opening story is from his mother's point of view on the day he was born. And so you find out some of his background before he was even born. Then there was a story that showed you where this began to happen with him, how he was taught how to treat women. So you see that story. There's also a couple stories from his third wife's point of view. And you understand then how does she get involved and why as the third wife, is she the one who lasted the longest? The other two wives are featured in here too. I bring them in as well. When I wrote it, it was really totally at random. And when I was done, then I had to start figuring out the order. And so I tried doing it as chronologically as possible to show Jack's development and then to show what happens to him in the end, which I'm not going to tell you.
0: I love the way you say it, like, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) How did you know it was, like, the end? Like, it just seems like there's so many um, strands to it and so many things that you can pull in and so much heartache, but also those hints of hope and of, like, of someone finding happiness, even if it wasn't going to be with him or especially if it wasn't going to be with him. And so, like, how did you know when his story or theirs were, like, were done?
1: With him, let's just say he gets his comeuppance, and so that's, that's where it ends. With each of the individual stories, I mean, some of them end happily and some of them do not, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's just how does each woman end up feeling about Jack? There are also, I tried to really focus on the ripple effect, that it's not just the man, the wife, and the woman who are involved. So there is a story, for example, in the point of view of the son that he never knew he fathered. There's the point of view of a bartender who was just meeting the woman of his dreams when Jack walks in and charms her and takes her away. And there's another one from a doctor's point of view who is handling a woman with breast cancer. And that woman was involved with Jack and he dumped her when she lost both her breasts. And so how does the doctor deal with this when she finds out her patient is all alone? So there's a whole bunch of perspectives in this book because I wanted to show that that adultery is not just a three-person thing. It affects anybody that it contacts.
0: And that's really interesting because we don't always get to see or we don't, we rarely get to see those ripple effects and how it does affect other people. So like, wow. Could we hear another reading, please?
1: You bet. I chose this one because it shows the youngest woman that Jack was involved with. And it starts with her story again before she even knows who Jack is and shows some of the things that happened to her that would lead her to being vulnerable to a man like Jack. So this is called Someday. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. Despite Disney, it was a hard thing to want to be a princess in the new millennium. Sometimes it even felt shameful. Shiloh was five years old when 1999 rolled into 2000, and the main thing she remembered from that stunning calendar event was fear. There were forecasts of chaos, crashes, jets falling out of the sky, computers, and entire cities going dark. Shyla's parents, who reassured her that everything would be okay, nevertheless bought just-in-case supplies during the daylight hours of New Year's Eve. Water, canned goods, peanut butter, batteries, flashlights, candles, and matches. At midnight, they watched the ball drop in New York City from their television in Wisconsin, and then they held their collective breath as the moment from the old year to the new year passed. The television programming didn't even hesitate and continued its commercials for toilet paper and perfume as if nothing changed at all, and it hadn't. Shyla and her parents hugged each other and cheered, and then Shyla's mom tucked her into her bed. Shyla watched the moon from her bedroom window until her eyes couldn't stay open any longer. Somehow, seeing the moon was the finishing touch for that night, as comforting as her mother's goodnight kiss. The moon, a silver tilted smile, meant that not only was the earth safe, but so was the entire universe. But princesses, apparently, weren't safe. In 2001, there was a sudden upsurge in outcry over girls not being encouraged as much as boys in math and the sciences. Something called STEM was created, which made Shyla think of plants, but made her mother believe that Shyla needed to excel in math and science even though Shyla's favorite subjects in first grade were art and reading. Her mother, who always taught Shyla be the best Shyla you can be, got caught up in the demand for equality and decided that Shyla was not going to be pushed behind by any boy or misdirected teacher. Shyla came home one weekend from visiting with her grandmother, always a treat, to find that her pink bedroom with Disney princesses cavorting on the walls was suddenly a serious shade of bluish gray. Her mother knew shyla liked the moon, so the room was done in a stars and planets theme. There were no crowns. There were no gowns. shyla's books on her bookshelf, filled with fairy tales of princesses and princes becoming queens and kings, suddenly held puzzle books, like Sudoku, and word problems and autobiographies of strong women with careers in space, medicine, and engineering. Her toy shells, previously filled with princess dolls and castles and carriages, now held building blocks, electric sets, and a toolbox. A Rubik's Cube was on her desk. There used to be a snow globe of Cinderella's castle. Shyla's mother had the kindness to not throw away the princess toys but they were relegated to a toy box in Shiloh's walk-in closet. Now when she played, she went in there and shut the door behind her. Her mother didn't say anything, but often when Shiloh was in the middle of a make-believe play afternoon, she would hear clicks. Peeking out her closet door, she'd find her mother on the floor, building with the building blocks. Shiloh would join her because she knew that playing alone was sad if you wanted someone else to play with. And her mother clearly wanted someone. She wanted Shiloh. So Shiloh would build beside her mother. She wasn't very good at it. Her towers always tumbled. Sometimes she got up in the middle of the night to play quietly in her closet under the glow of the single light bulb, which she pretended was the moon. She could no longer tell her mother she wanted to be a princess when she grew up. She wanted to dress beautifully and be beautiful herself. And she wanted to be loved completely and unabashedly by a handsome man. But the world thought that was silly. Even the moon grinned outside her window. In dreams, you will lose your heartaches. Whatever you wish for, you keep. By the time Shyla graduated high school, it was clear she was as lousy at math and science as she was at building blocks. She stumbled through the basics and managed a C in advanced algebra. But if she'd lost one more point, it would have been a D. She hated the sciences, weeping her way through her chemistry final. Her mother, aggrieved, was uplifted when Shyla decided to major in women's studies in college. And then from there, she began work as a fundraiser and event planner at a women's shelter. At least her mother thought Shyla was working for the cause, even if that cause wasn't infiltrating male-dominated careers. Shyla spent a portion of each paycheck on a Disney DVD until she was up to date on all the Disney princesses. Her childhood video collection disappeared soon after she left home, along with the toy box full of Barbie-type dolls, carriages, and castles. The only thing spared was the Rubik's Cube, something she never did solve. When she moved away, she took the Rubik's Cube with her, but threw it in the dumpster behind her apartment house. That's that. And of course she ends up meeting Jack who treats her like a princess.
0: Ah, uh, I see. So, yeah. So we could see exactly how that would um, fulfill that kind of need in her. Oh, right. how wonderfully done.
1: Thank you. You're
0: welcome. So for my final question that I get to ask, can you please tell us a bit about Olivia and five, seven, five autism in haiku. Sure.
1: That book, my youngest daughter, who is now 22, is high-functioning autistic. She was my fourth child. We were originally told that she would never speak, she would be nonverbal, that she would see us as bumps on a log, but we always saw something in her. And now at 22, she is a senior in college. She is a Dean's List student. She's majoring in art therapy. She goes to college completely on grants and scholarships for her academic and artistic ability. She's gifted in the violin, plays first chair in a professional orchestra. She's written her first novel. She's published poetry. I mean, she's done everything. April is National Poetry Month. And it is also Autism Awareness Month. So one year when Livy was in middle school, I decided to challenge myself to write a haiku a day about her and about autism. So that became Olivia in 575. And we're hoping it's already doing its work where we've presented to a bunch of, of organizations and talking with people about what autism is and what the actual experience is like olivia provided the final poem in the book
0: oh that's wonderful could we hear from the book please
1: you definitely can i'm going to read the introduction and then i'm going to read some of the poems and that will give some of the background to the book as well all right so this is the introduction in the pivotal year 2000 i gave birth to my fourth child olivia My other children from my first marriage were 16 years old, 14 years old, and 13 years old, so it had been a while since I dealt with a newborn. Even so, it was very clear that Olivia was different. Soon after turning a year old, Olivia was diagnosed with autism. It was devastating for her father and for me. We are both writers, and when we were told that our daughter would be nonverbal, looking at us as if we were bumps on a log, We were horrified, but we saw things with Olivia, verbalizations that mimicked our speech, taps on our shoes and arms and knees to make sure we were paying attention, facial expressions, and outstretched arms. We decided we would treat Olivia as Olivia. It was just who she was. Olivia went to an early childhood program at one of our public schools, and then she continued there through the fifth grade. We never put Olivia in any special therapies or put her on medication. We simply paid attention to how she learned and who she was. At school, she was 100% mainstream, only leaving for the special ed room at her own volition when she felt she was overwhelmed or needed help. The school was amazing, eagerly joining in with our different way of looking at how to treat our different girl. When this book is released, Olivia will be almost 22 years old and a senior in college majoring in art therapy. She attends college fully on grants and scholarships that she earned through her academic and artistic achievements. She made Dean's List in her first year of college and has made it every semester since. She is a gifted violinist, guitarist, and ukulele player. She's written a novel, had her poetry published, and her artwork is stupendous. She knows she is autistic and she embraces it, using her differences to bring change to the world. One year in April, which is both National Poetry Month and Autism Awareness Month, I challenged myself to writing a haiku a day about Olivia and about autism. Olivia in 575 is the result. This little chapbook holds a mother's love and grief, a child's challenges, and triumph. I hope you like it. So does Olivia. Olivia defines autism. My brain slipped sideways, she said when she was seven. Autism explained. Eyes opened. I had three babies, thought I knew it all, but then four showed me the truth. More than a cry. Babies cry, chaos voice in new world's wilderness. Autistic. Unrest. Autism out loud. She might be silent, they told us. Our hearts broke, but she smiled brave and sang. Communication. Stimming. Hand ballet. Autistic sign language. Watch. Flutters speak volumes. Path. She stood up rows of toy bears, colored puzzle paths. Her mind wove with them. Eruption. Meltdown. On the floor. Autism takeover. Words won't touch what she feels. From the beginning. Dumbass. Her first word. Not mama. Should have known then this ride would be wild. That's my favorite one. (laughs) Expression. She paints Starry Night in pink. Teacher shakes her head. We say beautiful. IEP hell. For those that don't know, IEP is Individual Education Program. It's what they do for kids in special ed. IEPs. Your child can't do this, doesn't do that. See what she does, please. Rebel. Rules of the haiku. Syllables five, seven, five. But autism has no rules, so I can write about my girl forever and ever. Amen. Ha! And then I'm going to read Livy's poem. So my daughter wrote this. A poem in Olivia's voice. She holds the infinite world by Olivia Giorgio. She was told that she wouldn't make it to college, that she wouldn't look at other people normally, that she would see others as rocks, emotionless and still. Her parents were disappointed in the response, but continued to hold onto hope and belief in their daughter because they could see the infinite worlds she holds. Years later, when her parents told her she was autistic, She couldn't believe the negative things she read and heard, but the depressing words she heard and read didn't let her down. She continued to rise and prove others wrong over and over through her art and intellect. She proved herself to be more than just capable of living a normal life. Her parents continued to support her through adulthood and remind her of how proud they are of her. That her autism won't hold her back, but push her forward. She remembers those messages her parents told her in her infinite world and hopes that those messages can reach others like her.
0: Oh, how lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. She's quite the kid. Oh, and how lovely that you two could, like, that she could be in that book. So she inspired the book, but then she also got to say, like, the last say on it. So how how wonderful. So where can we buy All Told and Olivia in 575 Autism and Haiku?
1: Okay. All Told is pretty much available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the big bookstores. It can also be ordered from your independent bookstore. And it can be ordered from the publisher. It's with a bigger publisher. So you see it pretty much everywhere. Olivia in 575 was published by Finishing Line Press, which is a small poetry press. So you can get that one on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and also from the publisher itself.
0: Wonderful. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us, for reading to us from both books and for talking to us about the writing, the writing process and your influences. It was a joy to have you with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.